the real headline right now is what's going on in Brazil. Southern Brazil is getting way, way too much rain. Uh, as of last week, there are some areas that got over a foot. If you look over the rainfall from September through uh, the end of October, some areas had over two feet of rainfall in southern Brazil. Hey, listeners, November 6th, Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. You got just me here again today. Tanner bringing you in some headlines before we jump into our Market Monday conversation, starting off with some weather. Strong winds are in the forecast for central Indiana. That may be difficult for travel or those with lightweight vehicles. Winds gusting up to 40 miles per hour throughout the state this afternoon could cause some issues. Those high-profile vehicles need to take consideration. Parts of South Dakota, northeastern Nebraska, parts of Iowa will also have low humidity and warm temperatures. These breezy conditions obviously make fire chances a lot more of a focus. Other than that, it really doesn't look like a lot happening weather-wise. Small chances of rain across the Midwest tomorrow, which would be Tuesday, but that is about it. We've got a carbon pipeline update. Summit Carbon Solutions wants to build continue to build their five-state carbon dioxide pipeline network. Their North Dakota switch adds 13 miles of pipeline. Of course, we've talked about North Dakota's concerns. North Dakota continues to increase its footprint in this proposal by about 4%. This would affect dozens of landowners. The North Dakota Public Service Commission rejected the company's request for permit earlier in August, and this is their comeback to that request. The commissioner later agreed to reconsider this permit request. Summit seeks to build about 2,000 miles in their total pipeline side of things. The North Dakota underground sequestration part is extremely valuable to what they have going on. Their route in North Dakota will have 333 miles. That's up from the 320 in their initial part or their initial proposal. This is boosting the number of parcels needed in five counties. Summit has made significant progress to address the permit deficiencies. So we'll see if that continues to move forward. An update on the Panama Canal. We still have low water levels that are slowing traffic down. They have the driest October on record. Daily ship transits through Panama Canal will now be cut in half this winter, according to the Wall Street Journal. Daisley reservation slots will be cut to 25 this month, 22 next month, and 20 in January and 18 in February. Last month, the canal, the canal had 32 transits. On normal, it usually can handle up to 40. This prolonged period of elevated temperatures and light rainfall reduces the supplies of water necessary. Around 70% of the vessels in this area will continue to put uh, stress on the transportation side of things. The Panama Canal handles about 7% of all global seaborne trade. The canal authorities say 98 vessels are waiting to cross on both sides of the canal right now. The container ships have fixed schedules and book many months out in advance, but this is not going to be a problem that will be solved quickly. Sawmore bird flu, the highly pathogenic avian influenza is now hitting more domestic flocks. The three Clay County duck farms and one chicken breeding operation in Hamilton County, Iowa, according to the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, the Clay County game birds have uh, about 17,300 ducks on one of their sites of mixed species. 
with another flock of 21 birds. They declined to reveal whether the sites are in close proximity to each other, but nonetheless are being reported. Hamilton County flock has about 15,000 chickens. The virus, which is often transmitted by wild migrating birds, could continue to wreak havoc on herds and flock, or flocks, I'm sorry, the rest of this period. Flocks earlier, again, were reported in Buena Vista and Pocahontas County as well as Guthrie County for a backyard flock. So far, eight sites for a total of about 145,000 birds have fallen victim to the bird flu. Got a fun article here, Pete's Pick of the Week, features some older iron. John Deere 4455 and 4960 broke records. Both have a lot of light left and were a part of a 15-piece equipment auction on October 28th. The John Deere 4455 only had 3,549 hours and sold more than $4,000 higher than the previous record of 91,000. That was set in December of 2021. The 4960 had 3,637 hours and topped the previous record of 114,000 by more than $20,000. So quite interesting to see that those data points move forward. We'll continue to push here and give us our last updates on <clears throat> what's happening over in the Gaza crisis. The number of Palestinians killed in Gaza since the Hamas attack on October 7th has now surpassed 10,000. Israel's military says it's now advancing toward the Gaza city after its forces have been cut the enclave into two parts. It opened a four-hour evacuation window for civilians on Sunday as a part of their humanitarian efforts. However, providers say communications are returning to Gaza after it faced its third blackout of the war. Humanitarian agencies lost all contact with their aid workers, which is great and unimaginably difficult. Of course, U.S. Secretary Anthony Blinken states Turkey's foreign minister and he are working together Monday to hopefully make a diplomacy trip in the recent days a success. They will meet and try to discuss whether they can settle violence on the West Bank with some of those key regional areas. So before we get into our markets, let's see where we closed out today. December corn closed unchanged, 477 and a quarter. November soybeans up 13 cents to 13.40 and a half. December wheat up three and a quarter to 575.60. As we look at the live cattle market down 255 today, down to 181.32 for December. Feeder cattle for the November month and it closed at 237.17, down 342 and a half. So let's have our conversation today to see what's been driving markets. Well, here we are at Market Monday. It's our pleasure to have Jim McCormick with agmarket.net here to join us. Welcome back to the podcast, Jim. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Looks like we got a couple of headlines to discuss today. Let's first start with one of the largest market movers. What's going on in the world of soybeans? Right now, it's all about the weather in South America. You know, with the harvest pretty much wrapped up in the U.S., South America is moving to the headlines. And it's it's really kind of interesting. Uh, you know, if you look at Argentina, I would argue it is improving. They've been dealing with a drought the last couple of years. They are getting the moisture, which is, should help their crop. But the, the real headline right now is what's going on in Brazil. Southern Brazil is getting way, way too much rain. Uh, as of last week, there are some areas that got over a foot. If you look up with the rainfall from September through uh, the end of October, some areas had over two feet of rainfall in southern Brazil. 
So they're doing a lot of flash flooding over there. There's talks of replant up to 20, 25% of the crop may have to be replanted because if you go further north, they're doing just the opposite. They're hot and they're dry. They're running above normal temperatures. Some producers are actually holding off planting beans right now in attempts to wait for the rain to develop. Now they did get some rain over the weekend, but not enough to break trend. So I think that's pretty much the reason why we caught a little bit of a bid coming out of the weekend, at least in the bean market. Yeah, because it looked like it was moving overnight. It closed up today. Are we seeing any additional demand on for U.S. beans out of this? We did get some flash sales this morning, so we are seeing some demand. Nothing I would call earth-shattering. I'd call it more routine business. And this is where it's going to get a little bit critical. If you look at the price of beans, they've rallied about a dollar off the fall low on this weather potential problems and a smaller crop out of South America. Okay, Tanner, so now the real question is, now that you've moved the market up in anticipation of a smaller crop will be demand to the US store, are we actually gonna get that demand? Now, the good news is, if you look at the price of grain, beans specifically out of our uh, golf compared to the beans coming out of South America, we are competitively priced. And then on top of it, the dollar broke really hard last week on some macro news. That's keeping us in the game as well. So we should, you know, we we have, I should say, we have the components to set up uh, set up for even more demand to come and maybe above and beyond what the trade's talking about. And if we would get that, that hopefully would give us that next leg higher. Yeah, and that's interesting because I just reported on a headline about the Panama Canal making some announcements for reducing their capacity due to the dry conditions they've had there. Is that going to hinder some shipments if we do get the requests? It will It will hinder it because essentially what's happening is, you know, our river levels were low. Um, the barge freights went through the roof because it was more expensive to ship less heavy boats down the Mississippi. We're getting the rain that's improving it. But no, that's what happens is essentially if you can't get as many boats through and they're talking maybe half the amount of boats going through, as pre-drought, let's say, you know, you get the demerge charges and all that. So we are competitive now, but that if that becomes even more of a problem, what would happen is we would actually lose some part, some of our competitiveness. So we need to keep an eye on it. Now, one way to get around it is ship it out of the P&W as well. So that's something we need to keep an eye on. But we're not the only areas that's having problems. If you look at what's going on in Brazil, they're dealing with drought in, in the northern part. Their river levels are really low. Essentially, some parts, some rivers at record low levels and down at the Paranagua port, they're saying there's up to 60 day delay because of the low river levels and having them getting product to the boats. That is where it could open up the door to get some of that South America bid where China potentially bought South America beans, cancel those sales and push them back to the United States, which is what we'd like to see. And like I said, if we'd start seeing those sales, we might get another gear higher and get this bean market you know, back over that $14 level that everyone's hoping for. Yeah, I think there's a lot of producers that have their eyes set on that level, but it looked like it was kind of a quiet day in the corn market. If I looked correctly, we closed unchanged? Uh, pretty much. It was a very quiet day. They did catch a little bit of a bid from the beans, but they really weren't able to go anywhere. Technically speaking, on Friday, we went down tested the low that was scored in September, held that low, forging a double bottom, and then had an outside day up, which gives you kind of a technical confirmation that maybe we finally put a double bottom fall low in. Now, technically speaking, I think you got to get above that 484, 485 level, which is roughly your 20 and 50-day moving averages. If we can get through that, 
then I think you got a shot back up toward the $5 level. I'm not so certain that we're going to get much above $5 anytime soon without demand. Because the reality is you're looking about a 2.2 billion, 2.1, 2.2 billion carryout. With those kind of carryout numbers, unfortunately, there's just no economic justification for an end user, I believe, to chase corn over $5 at this point in time, unless we start seeing a weather problem in South America. And the reality is, Tanner, to get that kind of problem, it won't happen to the spring. Because remember, 70% of the beans, or excuse me, the corn that gets exported out of Brazil is our safrina crop, the crop that's planted after this bean crop that's getting planted now. So we won't even know how bad this Brazilian corn crop potential could be for six months plus. So I think you can only put so much weather premium in on the what if on Brazil until the springtime. So that's my argument that maybe a move back up to five, but anything above five, you probably got to get really aggressive in selling and then maybe use an option play if you want to play the what if South America stays dry into 2024. Right. That's a good point. How are traders looking at this market right now? Are they shifting any of their positions or holding? Right now, they're pretty much holding. They've been short the wheat in general, short the corn. They're, you know, they're looking at it right now, holding on to it. Um, I think they're long a little bit of beans. I mean, the corn market right now is structurally in a bear market, unfortunately. Deese corn's trading at 477, roughly. March corn's trading about a 15 cent premium to Deese. And then you look at the May corn, May corn's trading about a nine and a half, 10 cent premium to March. That is what you would expect in a bear market. What they're essentially saying is, folks, I don't want your grain here early part of November. Bring it to me in March. Bring it to me in May, which is good. If you're a producer, like, hey, they're paying me to store the grain. But what you've got to be very cognizant of if you're a producer is what traditionally happens in bear markets. And what happens in bear markets, all things equal, that carry disappears. And what I mean is, like, look at the September corn. It went off the board around 465. Deese corn's trading here at 477. As we get into delivery here in December, if December corn says all things equal, 2122 carryout, equilibrium value for corn is delivery point in September, it was 465. It may be 465 for December corn. And then what happens is, if nothing changes going into the springtime, what will happen is that May and March corn will essentially fall down to that price. So that enticement to get you to store corn evaporates. And then you get in the spring. If you don't lock those carries in or manage that, that risk, you get in the spring, all things equal, these corn could be, or May corn could be right where the these corn is trading at now. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that perspective. I know we hit on a couple of the major headlines affecting corn and soybeans. Are we missing anything else that we should keep an eye on this week? All right now, I think you had to keep an eye on the wheat. The wheat has been the dog of the bunch. Let's face it, it's just struggled recently to really go anywhere. We're a couple dollars, two, three dollars off the high made and the apex of the war here. But you know, the you know, don't get caught in the wheat market. I mean, a lot of producers are moving away from planting as much wheat per se. The weather has improved a little bit in the plains, so we are getting the wheat planted. But when you look at the total supply of wheat in the world, stocks use, we're some of the tightest world stocks use in the last 15 years. So if, and it's a big if, if you can get this market to get something excited about the wheat, these funds are carrying this huge short position, you could cause us a nice short covering rally. Over the weekend, you don't get much of a headline of it. The reality is Russia continues to lob missiles and uh, drones at different ports in the Ukraine. And the market seems to be taking, ah, it'll get shipped out. It's not a problem. 
but it's not a problem till it's a problem. And one day if we realize, wait a second, this grain is not making its way out of the Ukraine. You could cause a little bit of a panic bid because like I said, the world stocks use are still relatively tight by historical measures. If you give a reasons for the funds to get out, you could see kind of a panic and get a real quick run up um, yeah, as a short covering rallies drives the market higher. So nothing there yet, but it's something to kind of keep an eye on. If the wheat would rally, that would probably spill into the corn as well. And that makes makes a lot of sense. So as we now maybe look at what the livestock world is doing, is it more of just a seasonal slowdown here? We're done barbecuing or what is the story happening there? Well, if you look on the cattle, let's look at the December cattle first. We had that gap lower a couple of weeks ago. and We had that very bearish cattle feed report. The market broke hard for two days. We caught ourselves at the 200-day moving average and had a nice little rebound. And then last week, we pretty much struggled to get through that 100-day moving average. And it seemed like coming in today, you put kind of a bear market spin on it, and the cattle market was down roughly 250. As technically, they just couldn't do more than fill the gap. I think in the broad picture, you're probably looking at cattle trade more of a sideways range. Get down to the low ones, let's say 175, 177, you're going to find buyers on the idea that in general, even despite that cattle on feed number, the total supply of cattle, the cattle herd still is relatively tight. And it will tighten up if we actually try to expand the herd for the long run as we start retaining heifers. On the other hand, it's hard to get overtly bullish right now because of the, you know, the cost of life right now. Inflation has come down, but everything is still very, very expensive. Um, you're looking at a lot of credit card debt and you're moving into the season where people have a lot of expenses. The real question is going to be, where does the consumer demand does it hang in there? My guess is if you get this cattle back up toward the 185 level plus, you're probably going to run into resistance and we're going to trade a, you know, more of a sideways in essence, as we get up to the high 180s, there's fear that the consumer demand is not going to be there. Like I said, you get down to the 175 due to the overall tight supply you'll catch a bid, more of a sideways market. Yeah, I think, I'm glad you shared that. I think it's interesting when you put the whole picture into perspective. Well, the last little piece I want to hit on before we wrap up today is still what's going on in the Gaza region. Do we have cause for concern for fuel markets, fertilizer at all? What are we seeing there? Well, I think you've got to be a little bit leery of it right now. I mean, the fact of the matter is that area is a powder keg. I mean, if you look at the price of crude oil in general, it spiked quite a bit on the initial, you know, initial problems that broke out with the first on the attack of Israel, and then Israel essentially counterpunching back. But crude oil's fall back down to around $80. It's holding the 100-day moving average. I'm guessing that's going to hold. But if this thing would spiral out of control, in essence, expand, you get Iran involved in it, per se. Not an Iran proxy, but let's say Iran gets involved in it. And then essentially we shut down the Strait of Hormuz, which is a lot of oil gets pushed through that portion of the world. Then you could see the oil market spike. Some people say $100, $120 as the market goes into kind of a fuel shock. Now, the real question is, if that happens, how does the world respond? Because remember, part of the reason why crude oil is trading where it's at is OPEC in general has been cutting production to drive the prices higher because the world economies are slowing down. The GDP number was very, very good. The jobs number was decent at 150,000, but we're definitely slowing down. And you know the world economies are definitely starting to contract a little bit. If we would go into recession, that could counteract some of the demand. So the world is walking a fine line. So to answer your question, I, it, the market seems to be comfortable at the moment, but if it would spiral out of control, 
the energy prices would spike. I think what potentially happens is you get a near-term bullish reaction as commodities tend to rally, follow the crude oil up. But if crude oil hangs up there too long, what's going to happen? It's just going to accelerate the risk of a recession, which would be negative for everything. You get in a recession, people don't drive. The demand for ethanol drops. The demand for beef drops. The demand for people just going out to eat drops. And in general, that would be a negative reaction if you go into recession for everything. So uh, it's something you need to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Well, if you got any closing comments, feel free to share them. Otherwise, let our listeners know how they can find you if they've got any follow-up questions. Well, right now, the one thing I'm going to try to express to the producers right now, um, get your wish orders in. We do have a big USDA report on Thursday. Odds are it's going to be relatively muted reaction, but you never know. You get these initial surges up, they tend not to last. Think about corn. It got up to 508, 509. It was there for less than a few hours. If you've got orders, even if you don't think they're going to get hit, if you want to do it in the cash market, you want to do it on HTA, you want to do it with your broker, get the orders working because moves happen very, very fast. They tend not to last in these type of markets. The other thing I'm just going to say, if you've got any questions, you call any of the ag market brokers at 844-424-6758, or you can go to agmarket.net to sign up for our research. The other thing I'm going to point out, we do have a conference coming up in February. If you're interested in coming to the conference, going to be down in Nashville. Go to agmarket.net as well on the front page. That'll give you some information about our conference. Jim, it's always a pleasure. We thank you again. I appreciate the opportunity. Like I said, thanks again for having me on. <laughs>